0: Welcome to another episode of History of Religion Podcast. I am J.A. Graham, and this is episode 24 in the History of Christianity series titled The Church in the Middle of the Fourth Century. Last week we ended with the death of Constantine and Arius. The church was now on its own and was in a position to claim for its own power and structure that Constantine had granted to it. Constantine had appointed his mother, Helena, to find Christian relics and treasures, and she had unlimited access to the treasury so she was basically the original indiana jones but even more interesting she left in 326 for a tour of palestine where she began the construction of two churches there the church of the nativity in bethlehem where jesus was born and the church of eleona on mount of olives where jesus ascended she supposedly found pieces of the cross as well she too was a bit suspicious so in order to prove the authenticity they used it to heal and perform miracles so there's your scientific method This exemplifies what was happening to the empire. Churches were being built and new traditions founded, such as the tradition of relics and pilgrimage. Which Helena exemplified all of the new churches meant that there weren't enough bishops to even go around so many churches did not have a bishop in charge The solution was to use the Roman system of hierarchical structure The local congregation was under a priest or presbyter who then reported to a bishop who would be in charge of the overall Jurisdiction which was typically a city over time some of these bishops became extremely influential and powerful based on their city's Prominence and their own political shrewdness the result was some bishops became supreme bishops or patriarchs which is Greek for fatherly rulers. Five positions rose to prominence in the empire, Rome, Alexandria, Antioch, Jerusalem, and Constantinople. They were all considered equal among each other and would have more solidified jurisdictions in the next century. The rise and fall of these cities will set the course of Christianity in its modern form. The segmenting of the church was not simply political, but cultural. Up until Constantine, almost all of the worship services had been in Greek, which was the language of the early church and what the New Testament was written in however by the 350s the western half of the empire had transitioned to latin in syria the churches switched to syriac and in egypt the language went to coptic these differences set the path for the future sects of christianity these traditions began to develop in a more robust way through what was called liturgy a fixed written form of worship this meant that wherever you went in this specific jurisdiction the service would be very similar this reduced those who wanted to go rogue and create their own versions of the religion and it set each type of liturgy down in its own path of development an example was the date of christ's birth which had been celebrated on january 6th up until 379 in the east when the bishop there introduced the western date so even the dating of the birth of christ was now on its own trajectory in each proto sect Ceremonies became more concrete as well. Cyril of Jerusalem, who lived from 310 to 386, was on the forefront of this solidification. Under his leadership, his church adopted special clothes for the clergy, began using incense, carrying lights, and made a big show of things like baptism. Cyril is often caught up in the theological debate of what is called believer's baptism and what is also called infant baptism. The evidence shows that at this time, infants were being baptized and others held at the same time that only those capable of of belief could be baptized, so the ceremony itself was solidifying the theology in the church. It was at this time that the the church began to do some interior decorating. All of the new buildings needed a little homey touch to them, you might say. Paintings and icons of saints and relics began to be put up on the walls. Icons had been used prior, but in more private settings. Now the usage of icons was becoming mainstream, and was very useful to those who had converted from paganism and still maintained some of their superstitions that involved idols. There were already some though, who were opposed to the usage of the idols, such as Epiphanius of Salamis, and they foreshadowed the coming conflict that the church would have over the issue of icons. With all of the structuring going on, the only outlet for many was monasticism, which we began to speak about last episode. We covered Anthony and Paul, who were considered the fathers of Anchorite monasticism, which is solitary and retreats from society, Yet now, another monastic movement became the main outlet for those who had differing opinions on theology, structure, purpose, or anything else, and had to flee and be able to express themselves within the new order of the church. One of the developments was cenobitic monasticism, which were groups and communities who fled society. The monk given credit to this strand is Pachomius who was born around 286 in southern Egypt. He was born a pagan and converted, and then became an anchorite monk. But after seven years, he transitioned because God told him to, supposedly. Eventually, his revelation was that he was to serve humankind, which was the opposite of why he fled in the first place, because he wanted to serve God. He got help from his brother, and they decided to build a community for monks to help one another. They built a small facility and tried to recruit some monks into the new movement. It went Pretty poorly to begin with. His recruits said that he was too demanding, and that all fell apart. So he tried again, but this time he decided the answer to being too demanding was to be even more demanding, actually. He demanded that anyone who wanted to join had to give up all of their possessions, and promise complete obedience to their superiors. Everyone had to work, and no job was below anyone. The underlying idea was mutual service to one another. These new monasteries began to grow and were a big hit. Pachomius's sister began founding communities for women too, called convents. Many churches no longer needed the widows and virgins because the numbers of the church had grown so much. All of these Christians who were now disenfranchised from the main life of the church fled to the monastic life the communities began to build certain buildings for certain ministries to those monks who lived there. For instance, there was a building for monks who gave people a place to stay for the night, and they were all were grouped together and focused on that issue within the larger community. Poverty was not the main point of the community, even though everyone there was poor. Most did not allow meat to be served, but had sufficient food for everyone. Over time, each sect of monastic life developed and became popular in its own right. Monasticism was able to spread through the efforts of people outside of monasticism we saw last episode how it was athanasius and saint jerome who told stories of anthony and paul and helped to spread their message the same template would continue for a century or so martin of tours was an extremely influential monk who was born around 335 in modern-day hungary he converted late in his life and his family was not happy so they forced him into the military of julian who is now known as the apostate while serving there, Martin was approached by a starving beggar who had no clothes and asked him for alms. Martin did not have anything, so he cut his coat into two and gave him part of it. Later, he had a dream where God told him a passage in the New Testament Inasmuch as you did unto the least of these, my brethren, you did to me. End quote. Martin had such influence that this is where the word chapel comes from. A piece of his cape, or capella in Latin, was kept in a church for centuries, and the church became known as the chapel, and those in it as chaplains. Another famous monk was Moses the Black, who was from Ethiopia. He was a massive fellow who was an escaped slave. He turned to robbery on the trade routes after he escaped. He participated in raids on monasteries, and while raiding one, he met a monk who convicted him of his sins and he converted. He dedicated his life to nonviolence from then on, and was murdered in raids by barbarians later in life. Each culture and section of the empire began to produce its own version of monasticism, oftentimes resulting in scholarly work for the church. Ephraim of Syria is a great example of this, as it was purported that he produced over 300,000 verses of hymns and poetry, this leads us to the development of distinct churches like the Syriac and Coptic sects, who began writing in their own language more and more, producing their own liturgy, as we have already seen. Over time, the writing and development led to people like John Cassian, who lived from 360 to 435. He wrote works outlining rules and methods for how monasteries should function. But that is not until the beginning of the fifth century. So we will have to leave monasticism again here and pick it up on it and pick up on it later. Turning to the larger church now, we return to Constantine's death, and he leaves the empire to three sons who split the empire in 337. By 350, Constantius had consolidated power. The problem was that he was an Arian in his theology. So though Constantius fought hard against paganism, much more so than his father, he was fighting against what is now considered the Orthodox Church as well. Athanasius and others had fled to Rome to hide from persecution of Arians and other bishops in the East. The issues were not simply the essence of who Christ was, but what books of the Church were to be accepted as well. Athanasius writes a letter in 367 called the Easter Letter. In it is the first example of the 27 New Testament books listed as they exist in modern Bibles. So Athanasius' version. Of Christianity was on the line, which is where the current religion has its roots. Things got worse for the church in 361 when Julian became emperor. Julian was raised a Christian but went off to study Greco-Roman philosophy in Athens. He lost his faith along the way and turned on Christianity in a harsh Manner. He tried to turn the empire back to its old pagan gods. In the grand narrative, he was nothing more than a death throw of the old Roman paganism, but those who lived through it felt him as a real threat in the present. Athanasius died in 373, with Christianity continually being attacked from the outside and from within. The next chapter of the church is written by what are called the Cappadocian Fathers, three men from the area of Cappadocia, Basil the Great, who lived from 330 to 379, and was the Bishop of Caesarea. Basil's little brother named Gregory of Nyssa, who lived from 335 to 395, and a friend of the brothers named Gregory of Nazianzus, who lived from 329 to 389 and became the patriarch of Constantinople. These fellows were big players, to say the least, and lived at the same time as Athanasius, but they stayed in the east and fought against the Arians head-on. The result of all their work is another ecumenical council at the end of the century, so that is where we will pick up next time. At the end of the century with an ecumenical council, and the church taking on more controversies, but the onset of even greater thinkers adopting the religion and producing some great intellectual works. So I hope to see you then here on the History of Religion podcast.